0: For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope.
1: What a beginning to a service, amen? Uh, I tell you, as we were singing Great Is Thy Faithfulness, I almost lost it there for a little bit. Just hearing your memories. You know, Google being the all-knowing, all-seeing algorithm of our lives, apparently knew this day was coming because this week, earlier in the week, or maybe it's the end of last week, on my feed of photos was a picture of this facility and it was a picture that I took one night late uh, with my son Jacob. We used to have green carpet and we had to lift the chairs and then bring out basketball courts, uh, basketball goals, those of you who knew it. Well, we we couldn't get replacement carpet when it finally wore out. And so uh, we put this floor in because of the school and the youth group and all the use that it got. And we put up these permanent baskets and on the night that the, the, the installers did it that afternoon uh, I, I was here I locked up the doors and they were finished and they showed me how to use them and how to raise them up and down so they're lower and also t- get them out of the way which apparently I guess doesn't work anymore I don't know but anyway um, I went home and I got supper and then I said hey son Let's go up to church. I want to show you something. And we came up here late in the evening, and this picture was that. And uh, so my son, Jacob, was the first person to shoot baskets on these goals. And we ran up and down to court, and we, we played some one-on-one And for a little while. And then I said, you know, son, you shouldn't be the first person to only shoot on it. You should be the first person to dunk on it. And the problem is is he was maybe 5'10 in his tennis shoes and he suffered from the same disease I have which is being earthbound, he can't jump. And uh, so I got the tool and I lowered it and he dunked on it, and I framed it just perfect so that on that feed it looks like he dunked on a 10-foot goal, and he comes down, and he flexes, and it's all of his youth and muscles are like, and he's just got this exuberant look, and it's like, wow, what a, what a great memory. And it's just one of, I know many that we have in this place. As I was thinking about this text, memory that came back is actually a little closer. Um, and it was just a few weeks ago when we baptized uh, Zoe Blanco. And Zoe was maybe the most cooperative baby that I've ever baptized. And you remember, I was able to hold her up to you guys and you waved at her. And, uh, and so as I say, I, I, I will confess something, that in that moment when you were waving to her, I, I came this close. I was so tempted to do a Lion King moment <laughs> and whoosh, hold the baby out, you know, like Rafiki does with, uh, with Simba. And uh, I bring that up because, you know, that, that whole movie of, if, I guess it's fitting that this thing isn't going to work on our last Sunday. Would you please uh, give me my picture of Simba? Hi. It's fitting that I thought of that because… Um, That story, it serves as a great illustration of what I want to speak about this morning with this passage. You remember the story, right? Simba is born, his dad, Mufasa, is the king of the jungle. And Simba is born into this family and he's the apparent heir, but he has an evil uncle, Scar, who wants to be in charge. And Scar arranges for the death he had thought of Mufasa and of Simba, but Simba was able to survive and he finds himself in a a strange country and a place that he doesn't recognize but he comes into contact with a couple of characters timon and pumba next slide please who introduced him to the hakuna matata lifestyle Remember that part, he grows up in this this just environment of enjoying life and being with his friends and, you know, he's no longer Simba, the apparent heir. He's just a lion cub with his friends going through life. You know, there's actually a word for this phase of life that can happen. It's called liminal Uh, A liminal uh, lifestyle Or living in liminality Which is the title of this morning's sermon Living in liminality Which is a mouthful What is the word liminal? It comes from a Latin word Which basically means threshold It means of or relating to a transitional Or initial stage of a process Occupying and position at Or on both sides of a boundary or threshold Which is a mouthful So for those of you like Vice President Harris who liked Venn diagrams, we have a Venn diagram for you, okay? It is that space between no longer and not yet. It's no longer where for Simba, he was no longer the, the heir apparent, living in the tribe with all of the expectations, but yet we knew in that movie he could not stay where he was at Hakuna Matata with with Timon and Pumbaa, that there was going to have to be resolution to this issue with Scar, but that was not yet. And so in between that ultimate, where he was going and where he had been, that stage, that's liminal, liminality and living in liminality. And this Venn diagram helps you see that you have experienced it. Every one of us had an adolescence. That is the, wow, there's a great example of living in liminality. You're no longer a child. You're not yet an uh, an adult. It's a very awkward time. It's living in liminality. That uh, oftentimes you see nowadays that young people, when they graduate from high school, they take a gap year, maybe before college or after college, liminality. Um, You have a have a, a great example of liminality through engagement. You're, you're no longer unattached, but you're not quite attached. You're engaged. Ladies, you had a nine-month experience of liminality. With pregnancy, those of you who have been mothers, it was no longer what it was, right? <laughs> and, and you couldn't wait for what it would be so that it would be over, <laughs> and you'd have that child come into, the, into um Unemployment, great example of liminality. So just as we can experience liminal life phases at the personal level, we can experience it in the corporate level. We can experience it as a church body, just due to events, and we can also experience it due to a space. Spaces have that time, concept of liminality, sometimes in a negative way. For example, I hate waiting in the, the I hate being in the waiting room of the dentist. That liminal space just builds dread every time I sit there which is why I don't go as often as I should because I just ew, the tension that builds in that liminal space of a dentist's office it's it's real so sometimes a liminal space can build dread other times it's excitement disney's mastered this you stand in line for 22 hours to get into that one ride that's going to last for you know 5 minutes but After that 22-hour wait before the five minutes of joy that makes you wonder why on earth I ever stood in line that long, there is a space that they gather you into, right? And they pack you into this room and they talk to you and it builds excitement about what is to come. Disney's mastered this idea that space can feed into this concept of liminality. Well, church, as a church... We are going to live in liminality for the next nine months or so. That's what's gonna happen. We are, we are leaving what was, what has been for some of us here for 35 years or more. Because some of you go all the way back to previous locations before coming here to Emerson. Um, we will no longer be here. And that is a bittersweet thought because there is some, as you heard this morning, so many wonderful memories attached to this space. And yes, absolutely the church is not the buildings. It's not the halls and the walls. And we carry the Holy Spirit with us to the next space and then to our final space that's being constructed over there. And we're gonna show you some neat video in a little bit. And we know all that intellectually and we know all that theologically, but emotionally it's attached to this space, isn't it? I mean, spaces are important. That's why we were so intentional with the building committee, and they've done such a great job because we recognize that the spaces are important, the facilities are important, not because of the facilities themselves, but because of what they facilitate, which is that work of God that we've heard testified to this morning. and so. We will no longer be in a facility space that has been home for 35 years and we will not yet be in our new home. We will be living in liminality. Please, Lord, no longer than nine months (laughs) or less would be okay, right? But thankfully, God's word speaks to us of how we are to honor him in these liminal moments. He has something to say about the, the way we should approach these times in our lives and you'll be glad to know especially since it's 20 to 12 and I got up you know at, at this time that there's only one point in my sermon isn't that awesome one point everybody say amen. amen okay yeah I didn't say clap I just said say amen all right but there are 34 subpoints. so with that no there's not just a simple truth for us to consider this morning. Would you put up the takeaway truth, guys, that God's plan for us includes the liminal moments that we are now going into? Now, now some of you would say, well, that's obvious because God is sovereign. He's in control of everything. He's over everything. And, and I realize that it is obvious at one level, but it, it doesn't mean that it's, it can be any less confusing you know, God's sovereignty during the liminal times can be confusing. It certainly was the case for the Israelites who are in Babylon. You know, they were God's chosen people. And lo and behold, 130 some odd years before this, the northern kingdom is wiped out by the Assyrians. They, they leave the stage of history. The two tribes left the southern kingdom. They, they continue on for another century or so, but then the Babylonians come in as the hand of God's judgment, and they end up destroying that kingdom, and they conquer it, and Jerusalem is sacked, and Hebrews are taken, Israelites are taken out of Jerusalem and out of Judah, and they're sent to the far country of Babylon into exile. These are guys like Daniel, and the book of Daniel, for example, are built around this. And here they are, and there's all kinds of confusion. Wait a second, we're God's people, and now we're in this situation. And it was filled with with events and things that they just didn't expect at all. And it surprised them, and it shocked them, and they were discouraged. And they were responding to it the way we often want to respond to liminal moments. They withdrew into a, a hard shell They huddled up and they hunkered down and they questioned God and they questioned what was going on and the confusion that they were having was the result of of real pain that you can experience in liminal moments. It was the result of the disruption of the trajectory of their life. They thought life was going to go one direction and now something totally unforeseen by them, catches them by surprise, and it's like, what's going on here? And they're confused, and they're disrupted, and they're anxious, and they look at the obstacles to get back to the Holy Land and to the Promised Land, and and those obstacles are overwhelming. And so, yes, while we can know that God is sovereign, sometimes the events on the ground just become so overwhelming, so painful, that our understanding of his sovereignty can become suspect, maybe even jaded, because pain in liminal moments is real, Confusion's real. I, I had a conversation just recently with a parent whose uh, son is going through a, a deep trial, a deep tribulation, totally unexpected, and it's scary. And we were talking to one another and and, and what was coming out of his voice and his words, it was obvious he was a father who loves his son, who would do anything on in in, uh, in his power to protect his son from going through the trial and tribulation that he was going through. Because that's what loving fathers do, right? They 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 protect their children. And and so when we look at these liminal moments as God's children, we say, wait a second, we. We understand that God is sovereign and that he is a good, good father. So why isn't he protecting me from this pain, from this confusion, from this frustration, from this anxiety? And we ask these questions and depending on how we approach it, we can end up seeing that these moments become springboards for bitterness and discouragement because God doesn't do for us what we've done for our human children but in verse 4, God helps us understand that, yes, I am sovereign over these events and over these liminal moments. And so, I'm sovereign over these things, not in order to confuse you. We don't hold on to the, to the sovereignty of God for, because it confuses us. We, we hold on to it because of how it comforts us during these times. And God, in these verses, tells his people, Listen, I'm in charge here. This liminal moment that you find yourself in in Babylon, which you never expected, and to which you're responding to improperly, he tells us, people, you should know I'm in charge of it. I'm sovereign over it, and he doesn't tell that, tell them this and announce this in order to confuse them, but to bring comfort. God's sovereignty brings comfort in the liminal moments for us for several reasons. First, because the liminal times with his sovereignty become times that we experience his presence. The liminal moments are filled with the presence of God. Verse four says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. In the liminal moments, God is not silent. God speaks to us through his word and through his spirit. And what's interesting, and what I think one of the reasons for liminal moments in our lives and why they occur, is we are much better listeners <laughs> during these times of no longer but not yet. Because a, sometimes a sense of desperation begins to grow. That, that confusion makes us more anxious, and we turn to the person who actually has the answers that we need, God. God. And here in these verses, you'll notice very quickly that he says to them, I'm the Lord of hosts. I sent you into this liminal moment. This is all my plan. And he's speaking to them. Liminal moments remind us that our greatest need in life, whether it's a liminal moment or any other moment, is to be conscious of God's presence in our lives to be attuned to his presence, to be attuned to his voice, to be attuned to his leadership. In some respects, I feel like our church has been living in a liminal moment probably since 2016. And we have seen God guide and direct our steps in ways that we just did not anticipate, putting us in a season as a church of it's not what it was. What's it gonna be? We don't know. And in this space, man, it can be uncomfortable. It's So easy when we're in that space to, to grow bitter, to grow angry, to grow anxious, to point fingers, to be a doubter, to, to walk by sight, not by faith. I mean, it's, it's a time where it's easy to become less than what God wants us to be. But liminal moments are those times when God's presence is real and he comforts us through that presence. He comforts us in the liminal times because they're filled with his purpose. What does he say in verses 5 and 6 and 7? Listen, build a life. Get a home. Get a spouse. Have children. Get spouses for your children. Prosper. Bear sons. Multiply. Do not decrease And seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Church, God-ordained purposes are present in the liminal moments. God has an intentional plan at play here. In the liminal moments, his purpose is for us to flourish, to grow at the personal level, at the corporate level. It's obvious to me that in this passage, he's encouraging his people, stay on mission. Stay on mission. You are part of something that is bigger than your life and even our church in this liminal moment, we are part of the kingdom of God. And our mission of bringing gospel restoration to people's deepest needs and our broken world doesn't change because we are no longer at 720 Emerson. In fact, sometimes I think God puts you in the liminal moment so that you can see opportunities and experience opportunities that you might not have seen or experienced if you had stayed comfortable where you were. I love this place. We plan to have a new church by now, which is why the lease was only 18 months. Should have asked for 36. But anyway, that's the way it works. But what is God up to at Lockmar Elementary School? I I mean, I drove by yesterday and I saw the over 200 kids and I saw our men standing there and they were getting the griddles ready to cook and We have ministry taking place at Lockmar Elementary School in their fields this year that just, wow, I'm looking forward to see what else opens up. And I'm looking forward to see how do we continue to build the relationship with the staff and the teachers and the students here at Pineapple Cove Church. We have some kingdom opportunities here and I just believe in my heart that God is gonna show us some opportunities in the next nine months that we may not have had if we were not in that space because of the relationship that we're going to be able to build there. And then we moved next door, the relationship that we've been able to build with the folks here at Pineapple Cove. How is God going to, I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you this much, liminal moments often reveal new opportunities for kingdom living, closed doors open during these times. It's gonna be exciting to see. And that brings comfort to know that there is purpose in the liminal moments as it relates to God's kingdom and the mission of our church. There's comfort in his sovereignty during these times because the liminal times are filled with his power. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapters four and five really talks about his life and our life here on earth. And he says in verse four, For God, excuse me, verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Paul essentially says that from an eternal perspective, from a redemptive plan of God perspective, the entirety of our life, from salvation, from our point of salvation to death and our home going to glory is one massive liminal moment. We are no longer what we were. We are not yet what we are going to become. We are in between. And when you look at this, he says in these chapters, yeah, we have this wonderful truth housed in an old earthly vessel. And it's filled with all kinds of difficulties and trials and tribulations. Many of them much worse than stacking chairs and unloading trailers on a Sunday morning. Those can, it can be hard. It can be difficult. But every one of those events are not accidental. They are intentional. They are meant, ultimately, to strip away our sense of self-reliance. Because the more we are emptied of self, the more we are now positioned and ready to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, the gates of hell quake. And the history of this church has been times and peoples who have been filled with this Holy Spirit and God has worked wonderfully But we are not done yet. He's going to do that more. And the liminal moments, even the discomfort of a school cafeteria instead of the the openness and the airiness of this facility are gonna be opportunities for us to trust God and not ourselves. And ultimately, the reason why these liminal moments are times of comfort where we get to enjoy God's sovereignty is because these times are filled with his promise for his people. Verse 11 is often abused, especially by the prosperity gospel, but there is real promise here for his people. Verse 10 says, thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, you mean our liminal moment's going to last 70 years? Yep. (laughs) But When those 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my what? What's the next word? Promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. This promise from God isn't about a new car or a new house or a fatter bank account. Graduates, everybody who gives you this verse at graduation time, please understand this does not mean you're guaranteed a six-figure salary once you leave college. This verse is for God's people. It's for the inheritors of the promise of which we are because we are Abraham's seed. This promise that he gives here, God can make because two chapters later, he tells the Israelites, a new covenant is coming. And with this new covenant, I will make you my people. I will put my law in your heart. No longer will you run from me. And that promise is based upon the new covenant that our Lord established through his shed blood of which we are participants through faith. And so this promise is for us because we are in Christ. It's for our church because we are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community. And as long as we anchor ourselves to that truth, we should understand that God's plans for us are good, not evil, even in the liminal moments. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness We thank you for the examples of your grace that have been poured out in this church through the decades. Lord, I thank you for all of the the predecessors that stood on this stage. Lord, I thank you for Dan Henley, and I thank you for Rod Whited, and I thank you for Bob Stewart, And Lord, their their ministry of leading, I thank you for all of the elders through the centuries, some of whom's ashes are in the dirt around these buildings. And their leadership, the elders and deacons, the families. God, we, we thank you for the work that you have done through people who are jars of clay. And Lord, would you continue that work through us, vessels, jars of clay that contain the beautiful message of our Lord Jesus Christ. All praise to him we ask in his name, amen.